Father, we thank you so much for this evening where we can pause in the middle of our week to focus upon you and your word. And I thank uh, these people that have come out physically to be here and to gather together for those who may be watching online. And would we all just be sensitive to the spirit of God as he uses the word of God in our hearts and lives and that we may grow and learn of you this evening. And we ask that you would just continue to be with us and that we would enjoy this evening one with another. And we thank you and praise you through the name of your son and our savior Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 2 this evening. 1 John chapter 2. I'm kind of picking up in the study where I've been with the teens in Sunday school and Bible quizzing. And we're working our way through 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse 18. So while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and begin start reading. 1 John chapter 2 verse 18. Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard that the Antichrist shall come. Even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us, but they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and know all things." I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. That that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. But to the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteous is born of him. We're going to look tonight at little children continue in the sun. Little children continue in the sun. So looking at verse 18, it says, little children, it is the last time. I can't help as I've been studying this passage, thinking of children. Have you said that line to your kids? You say to your kids, this is the last time as a strong warning. You better not do that again. I am guilty as charged. I've said that almost exact line. But we're going to look at what it's talking about with the little children. He wants the little children to know the truth. In verses 18 through 23, we're going to say, little children, ye know the truth. But when you think of little children, what comes to your mind? Do you think of cute, innocent, 
little children. They're dependent upon parents, maybe. They have lots of life and growing ahead of them. Maybe you think of birth cloths and diapers <laughs> and messes on your suit coat on Sundays as you're trying to exit the house. What comes to your mind when you think of little children? When I think of little children, a passage that comes to my mind, and I shared it with the teens many Sundays ago in Sunday school. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, it says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Regardless of what you thought about little children, little children tend to be selfish. Their first words are no and mine. And then those little children grow up and become adults. And some of us grow out of that. And Paul encouraged that Corinth, that church of Corinth. This is, that's the end of the love chapter. I don't know if you caught that, but that was out of 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. When you think of 1 Corinthians 13, people, oh, that's a love chapter. But it ends with telling little children to grow up and to put away childish things. That is similar to the meaning. We're going to spend some time looking at who are the little children. Because my illustrations of little kids growing up is not exactly the intent. It comes to our minds when you think of little children. But that's not what this phrase means, particularly in this chapter of 1 John. And 1 John chapter 2 is dedicated quite a bit with the phrase little children. We're just going to walk through the context of this chapter very quick. But this term for little children is not a literal little child like we were talking about with diapers and wipes and burp cloths and those types of things, or the little toddlers running around saying no and mine. These little children, this phrase, particular word is always used in a figurative sense. It's not talking about physical little children. Although the term can carry that idea into the figurative language. He is talking to adults, he is talking to those in a church. But when you think of adults in a church and he's saying little children, it's a term that we're going to see. It's kind of like I want you to grow up out of your doctrinal infancy. I want you to eat some spiritual meat. So we're going to look at the context of how Paul used this. This is only used a couple of times. Outside of 1 John chapter 2, there's only two other uses of this term, of this word for little children. I'm going to look at it very quickly. Aren't you glad you're inside right now? Wow, we. Context, let's help look at how Paul used little children. In Galatians 4, I want you to turn with me. We're going to look at a couple of verses here in Galatians 4. Paul uses this same one, and I want to start in verse 14. I'm going to pick it up with some context before we get to the actual verse. But in verse 14, he says, And my temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not, nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. He's talking about the, these churches in Galatia. They received him very kindly. And we see how kind they were going to be in verse 15. He says, Wherein then is the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and have given them to me. So Paul is saying, you cared for me and loved me so much. It's as if you would want to meet my physical need. You would have went to the extent of pulling out your own eyes and giving them to me. Just hinting that Paul had some kind of issue with his eyes. But now look at verse 16. He says, 
Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Paul's like, you were being so kind to me and now I share the truth and you treat me like I'm your enemy? What is going on? Verse 17, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that ye might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. And here it is, verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He's referring to these as, you are doing so well, you're turning against me even though I'm sharing the truth, the truth of the word of God, which you already knew, but it's like there's conviction, they're getting frustrated, and he was referring to them as little children. You're not as spiritually mature as you should be. And then look, he continues on in verse 20 very quickly with this. He says, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. I think of my mother <laughs> with this verse. She could be letting us have it like we're in deep trouble. You know, the full name comes out and she's yelling all the names of the kids. You know you're in trouble. And then she picks up the phone. Hello, how are you? I'm like, how does she do that? She goes from like blissfully angry to letting us have it to, hello, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm like, what? She's about ready to whoop us and not sit for a week. And then she just is super friendly. The idea here is Paul wants to change his voice to them because he's very frustrated, but it's almost like he wants to hold that back Speak to them as being young in the faith to grow up, and he wants to change his voice. I want you to listen. That's kind of idea. So he's referring to these people as you should grow up. I wish I could be there face to face so you could see my reaction, so you could hear my voice, because you're not doing right. So Paul uses that term little children in that figurative sense. I want to tie in, look at the Gospel of John. This I like a lot. Not only because John was used to pen it, but a lot of the similarities. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting with verse 21. This is a lengthier passage, but a lot of this overlaps very well with where we're going to go in 1 John chapter 2. And really the whole uh, book of 1 John uh, in many different ways. But let's just look at it here in reference to the little children. We'll get to it here in a little bit. Starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. And the disciples looked one at the other, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That would be John. The Apostle John there. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask him who it would be of whom he spake. Then he, lying on Jesus' breast, said unto him, Lord, is it I? That's John right there. John is very, laying very close, practically hearing the heartbeat of our Savior. And he is there when Jesus answers this. He it is to whom I shall give a sop. And when I have dipped it, and when he had dipped it, the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. You'd think that'd be a dead giveaway, but look what happens in verse 27. And after the sop, Satan entered into him, and Jesus said unto him, thou, What thou doest, do quickly. And no man at the table knew of what intent he spake this unto him. So we're coming into our context of our verse here. You see Christ up there with the disciples. It's a very intimate time. He's about to enjoy the 
uh, the Last Supper there with them. He's about to go to the cross. Jesus is about to be betrayed by Judas Iscariot. And this is the context by which we're going to find this phrase coming up soon. Look at verse 29. For some of them thought, because Judas had the bag, that Jesus said to him, buy those things which we have need again, and the feast, or that you should give something to the poor. And he, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God glorified in him. If God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify in himself, and shall straightway glorify him. Now here it is. This is the part where we're getting at with that same word that's used in the same way that we're going to see all throughout 1 John chapter 2. In this moment, within this context, Christ says to the apostles there, little children, yet a little while I am with you. Ye shall seek me. And as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. As we've been studying through Bible quizzing with 1 John, there are so many similarities right here that I think this was such an impactful couple of moments, an impactful hour on John's life that God used this very context to influence John, where now in 1 John chapter 2, he's focusing on little children and the rest of that epistle, he's talking about loving one another and keeping his commandments. This is probably what's going through his mind as he's penning these words. He is probably thinking of that upper room. He's thinking about one of the last times he actually had a decent conversation with his Savior. And how does Christ respond? He responds to them as his little children. An enduring term of, I'm about to leave you. You don't know what's coming. He gives final instructions. I want you to love one another. Because they're about to be hated by everyone. They're about to put their lives on the line. And after a time of running around with their tail tucked between their legs, they're going to get very bold when they see him at the resurrection. But all this, I think, is flooding through John's mind. And he refers to them as little children. And he gives them this commandment. And then, I just want to finish this because it goes so well with 1 John as a whole. In verse 34, it says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye also love one another, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one towards another. So we see how love is combining how Paul kind of referred to children going, growing up in the love chapter. Here we see a new commandment I give unto you, that we're supposed to love one another. Others will know that you are my disciples. How? What, what is one evidence that you have one love one towards another? And John captures this greatly. As I said already, a lot of people, when you mentioned what's the love chapter in Scripture, people will run to 1 Corinthians 13. I think that is a great description of God's love. But in my opinion, John uses 1 John 4. This is kind of extra here, just a bigger picture of 1 John. But John chapter 4, I think, is a great definition of what love is. So that's the bigger picture of 1 John. But he uses this term of love and little children as an enduring term. They're not physically little children, but maybe they're not where they should be. They're about ready to go from the bassinet to the toddler bed. Okay, They're about ready to graduate, you know, 
high school that happens. You know, this is about to be a big step for them, and they don't even know what's all beyond them. That's what he means by this term. Now go back to 1 John chapter 2. Those are the context of this term, little children. So we're obviously not talking about infants, babies. We're talking about grown adults that may spiritually be new, young, or are not very well grounded in God's truth. So when John here now, in 1 John chapter 2, starting with verse 18, says, my little children, that's what he's referring to. But look back at how he starts this chapter. He starts out 1 John chapter 2. He says, my little children, these things I write unto you, that you what? That you sin not. Now all of us sin. But I think with this term and everything we've went through, we're sinning, we know it's wrong, and like a little child can be, we choose to do it anyway. No, mine. And what John is saying, he's like, little children, I'm not writing this to beat you over your head. I'm writing this to encourage you that you recognize again that some of these things that you're doing are sinful. So I'm writing that you sin. Now, I'm encouraging you to do the right thing. Let's grow up. Let's be a little bit more sure about it. I know we're adults, but I want you to grow up. And then we see this similar thing in verses 12 and 13. Let's look at this very quickly. He says, I write unto you, little children. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. So, he wants us not to sin. But when, as little children, as spiritual little children, as knowing we should not do this but choose to do it anyway, what he's saying is, because your sins are forgiven. John knows that we all struggle as believers with certain sinful patterns, lifestyles, habits, whatever it may be. But he's writing to us because our sins are forgiven. And why are they forgiven? We're not just forgiven so we can go to heaven, although that is true. But we're forgiven for Christ's name's sake. For his name are we forgiven. Not to puff ourselves up. I think this should be a humbling thing. I know that I'm a sinner. But for his name's sake, my sins are forgiven and I know better. And as a parent, we can understand sometimes you do need to be gracious. You're not excusing the sin, but based off certain circumstances, sometimes you may extend grace as a little child, as any child. That is how God, I think, is using John to understand this. That we do make mistakes, but it's for his glory. Look at verse 13 at the end. He says, I write unto you, little children, this is the end of verse 13, because you have known the Father. So these little children are believers. They know the Father. He does not want us to sin, and yet he reminds us that we are forgiven of our sin for his name's sake. Then we get to verse 18. So we looked at the extended context of this phrase, little children, and narrowing it down to this chapter. And this word is the only time it's used primarily here in 1 John and those two other examples in Galatians 4 and John chapter 13. I just want to briefly mention the other times it's mentioned here in this uh, first epistle of John. In 317, he says, little children, 
Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteous is righteous, even as he is righteous. So once again, we get the idea of little children. By chapter 3, he's saying, don't be deceived. Basically, we're not as mature as we should be. People are out there to try and deceive you, try and get you to believe lies. And we're going to cover specifically what these are in chapter 2. And he reminds them by verse 18 of chapter 3. He says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. And I think of, with my uh, children, uh, raising them up over the years, let us not love in word and deed. Or, uh, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. So just don't love in words and just saying the right thing. And I picture with my children, have you ever had that time where you're like, no, you need to tell them you're sorry. Sorry. And you're thinking, okay. Now mean it. When you say you're sorry, I want you to mean it. Sorry. You know, it's like, oh, really? You want deed and truth. You want to go up to them, apologize. I'm sorry. I bit you. Okay. You know, will you forgive me? That's what you're looking for, but they're giving you the sorry. What, what he is telling us with this same phrase is, just don't use words. But we need deeds and actions behind what you say. A lot of First John could almost be summarized in stop being a hypocrite. You really can summarize this book in a lot of ways. It talks about obeying his commands. It seems like it's new, but they're not. It's the same thing. Just obey. And the last occurrence we see, oh, I'm sorry, there's two more. In John 4.4, 1 4, John 4.4, 4, he says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's a great thing. He's reminding these little children that they have overcome them. And we can look at the context, but God is with them, and we can overcome evil and wickedness. Because greater is he that is in you, the Spirit of God, than he that is in the world, the devil. And then the last one, the way that the book ends, the capstones almost from, from John, 1 John 2, 1, all the way to 521, he has this similar idea of growing up spiritually. He is doing all this, and how's the book end? Look at the last verse there. It's in 1 John 5, 21. It says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Reminding us this term of little children, we need to grow up. He is writing this epistle so that we could understand some concepts of what it means to grow up spiritually. To say with our life, not just our words, what it is to be a Christian. To have a true love for our Savior more than a love for our sin. That takes maturity. That takes growing up. That's what John is trying to communicate here when he uses the term, Little children. So we've seen here, we've spent a lot of time in verse 18. Now let's look at the end of verse 18 into verse 19. Because he wants the little children to know the truth. But let's look first at who are the Antichrists. In verse 18 it says, Little children, it is the last time as ye have heard the Antichrist shall come. There is an Antichrist coming, and he's telling them, you know that there's one coming, and there is. But he says, look at this last phrase, but even now there are many Antichrists whereby we know that it is the last time. And here John and several references that Paul has made, 
These guys felt like their time here on earth, Christ could have come back during their day. That's how they felt. And I think every generation of Christianity can feel the same way. Oh man, the way the world is going and everything's going, this has got to be the end. This has got to be near the end. And the truth is, it's always closer than it was. It is, it's true. We don't know when that is. But what John is saying, there are many, many antichrists. And he says briefly what they are throughout this chapter. But let's just look at the next verse here in verse 19. What are the antichrists? Who are these many antichrists? Well, we know from the end of verse 18 uh, that is now, the time now is the last time. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would go, no doubt, have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest, that they were not all of us. Basically what he's saying is, you have some people that were amongst us. They were fellowshipping here at this church. But they were only using lip service. Maybe they weren't saved. Maybe they believed false doctrine. But what he's saying is, if they truly were of us, they would still be here right now. And I've seen under my short term as serving as you know, pastor of different churches, that a lot of times when people leave a church, it's because they've already made up their mind that they're making changes in their life. Their attendance will start dropping, their Bible reading and prayer has already been off the, off the chart that they don't even consider it anymore. And as you watch them, it doesn't take long. I'm thankful I'm not on social media anymore, but when I was, you can, you know, you'd see things pop up and what they're doing with their life, and you're like, oh, no wonder they left. They're living just like the world now. And we were trying to keep them in, but they wanted to enjoy their sin so much that they had to, the church was getting in the way. The church was becoming inconvenient for them. What he's saying here is there are some in the church, we're talking right here, right now, he's saying, but they were antichrists, and we know they are because they've already left. They were never of us. And he says at the end that it was made manifest. You could see by their life it is made known that they are no longer of us. Maybe they weren't saved to begin with. It's possible. Maybe they're just choosing to live and walk in the ways of the world. Once again, he's encouraging them, well, don't live like that. Don't be a hypocrite. Prove to the world that there are real Christians. You don't have to be like one of those hypocrites. You can stay involved. You can love God, love his church, and love his people. So let's continue on here. He spends some time, little children and the Antichrist. We learn about them. And then he kind of has this little two verses here. He says, but, in verse 20, he says, believers have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So look at this. What is this word, unction? This word, unction, we also see in verse 27. But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you. And ye not that a man teach you, but that same anointing teaches you all things. That word anointing and that word unction are the same word. Basically, we have been consecrated. We've been called to serve God, led of the Holy Spirit, to recall the words of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what part of what the Spirit does. We have an unction. I believe we get our word charisma from this. 
You will act a certain way. You should do a certain thing. We are called, set aside, separate to serve God. And we look at the Holy Spirit's role in this. If we look at uh, John 14, I'll just read it for you, this one. It says, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So what is this unction? What is that we have from the Holy One? And what is that you should know all things? It's all things that are written in the Word of God. That we have been said, that we've been studied. And John is saying, as he's being reminded of where Christ was at the Last Supper in that upper room. He's recalling these things probably to his mind. And he's remembering what Christ has said unto him. And he's remembering the one who used to be of us that has now left us. And it became manifest who he really was. Do you see what might be going through John's mind at this point? He says, but we are different. We should be different. And he's not writing this because we don't understand this. He's reminding us of a truth that we already know in verse 21. He says, you know these things. The problem in life is not knowing what to do. Most of the time, we know what the right decision is. The difficulty we have is following through to accomplish, to do what is right, not just know what is right. I think that's what John is encouraging here. We know it. And we obviously know that the lie, he says here, and that, the, that no lies of the truth. You can't have it both ways. You're either living a lie or living a truth. So he wants them as little children to grow up, to be reminded of these truths, knowing that there are those that are out there that are going to cause you to doubt, knowing that there are going to be those that turn away, and that we know these things most of the time, and we just need to choose to obey what we already know. And that's a big part of life. It's not learning new secrets to life and how to make it work. If we learned nothing new about the Bible and we just lived what we currently know, you learned nothing new about the Bible, but you actually just lived out what you know right now, it would change your life and it would change the lives of those around you. It really would. If you learned nothing new, but you just obeyed what you knew right now. So then in verses 22 through 23, he kind of goes back to this idea. He gives us some encouragement, reminds us of some other truths. But then we're going to see about who is the liar and denier. Who is the liar and the denier? Look at it in verse 22. Who is a liar but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ? You want to know who a liar is? It's someone who denies that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He's the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who came as the anointed one of God to take away our sin, chosen of God to die in our place on the cross, that after living a perfect sinless life for us. But who is a liar? One that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah. That person's a liar. And I get the idea that here that there are those in his day already questioning who Jesus is his deity, and who he was. And keeping in mind, John, at the penning of this, is most likely the last surviving apostle. In fact, he's probably one of the last eyewitnesses of Christ remaining on earth. And he's trying to encourage people 
don't forget what he taught you. There are already those denying who Jesus Christ is already. So does it surprise us today that people are like, oh, who is Jesus? Just some nice guy, maybe some other prophet. Does he, did he even really live on earth anymore? I mean, some people would rather question the existence of Christ than George Washington. Come on, really? But there are people that, that shouldn't surprise us. It was already happening in John's day. So he's encouraging them. Hey, who's a liar? He that denieth who Jesus is, the, he's the Christ. And then he says, he is antichrist that denieth the father and the son. Are you denying the deity and who they are? That's what an antichrist is. They're against the son. They're denying the father. They're against Christ, an antichrist. Then he continues in verse 23. Whoso denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. It sounds like, reminds us of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Thus whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do you get to the Father? How do you get eternal life? It must be through the Son. So if you're rejecting the son, guess what you're doing? You're rejecting the father, the one who sent him. That's what he's saying here. He says, whosoever denieth the son, the same hath not the father. But he that acknowledgeth the son hath the father also. You have to believe in who Jesus Christ is to get to the father. You just can't think he was a good guy. You can't just think he was one of the prophets. He must be the son of God. He must be the Messiah. He could be nothing less. Or you're against Christ. You're denying the Father by rejecting who Jesus Christ claimed and who he was. He just didn't claim who he was. He is the Son of God. Then that word acknowledgeth there in verse 23, but he that acknowledgeth the Son. This has the idea of to confess or profess. Basically, to say the same thing or to agree with. Are you acknowledging that basically the Son is the same as the Father as far as deity? Are we confessing, are we professing that? Are we making it known? He's telling the little children that these are truths that you need to know. Grow up in spiritual maturity understand these truths. Some of these are basic, but are we living them out? Are we truly, genuinely believing them to where it changes our life to not prove to the world that Christians can be hypocrites? Then we're gonna look at number two. We've seen the little children to know the truth in verses 18 through 23. Then we're gonna look at verses 24 through 29. Let that abide in you. Let's look at it in verse 24. Let that abide in you. He says, let that therefore abide in you which ye have heard from the beginning. That if which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this idea of abide. Do you realize that same word is used three times in this verse? This is really neat. I like this. This just adds color to the whole passage here. He says, let therefore abide in you. The that, very quickly, 
is that which we've heard from the beginning, these truths that we have known, that we should be living by, that we should be, have an unction from the Holy One, that we should be obeying God's word and the words of his son, Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit and the word of God, that Holy One is using in us and through us. So those things should be abiding in us. And that word abide, down towards the end, remain, and the other word continue in. Abide in you, remain in you, continue in the Son. Those three words, abide, remain, and continue, are all the same word. Just giving a better picture of what that word means. Are you abiding in this truth? Are you continuing to do what you know to do? Are you continuing in the Son, which will help you with the Father? Are we demonstrating our love and fellowship with God and making it known to others? Or are we going to be a secret service Christian? These truths should be in us, remaining and abiding. We should not want to leave God's truth, forsake the church that he came to die for, along with our sin, And what helps us to be encouraged in this truth? Look at verse 25. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. You know the reason why we can abide in him? We can abide in him because he abides enough forever. Once you've trusted Christ as your savior, you have that holy one, you have the Holy Ghost that abides and dwells in you forever. Let's look how Christ explained this. We're going to go back to the Gospel of John here. Turn to the Gospel of John, starting in verse 14. In John 14, starting in verse 15, we're going to look at a couple of verses in different passages in chapters 14, 15, and 16 to get Christ's perspective on what it means to abide, to give evidence of love, and the fact that he and the Father are one. Let's just look at this very quickly. John 14, starting with verse 15. And when one of them that sat at meat was with him, heard these things, he said unto him, Blessed is he that eateth the bread of the kingdom of God. Then he said unto him, A certain man made him a supper and bed many. And he and his servant and supper said unto them, Come, all things. Wait, I think I read the wrong. Hmm. I think I have a wrong passage here. Oh, I am. I'm in the wrong gospel. (laughs) I was like, this doesn't make sense. It's even worse when my notes are printed because I can't even blame it on my writing. (laughs) You guys are in the right place. Let me catch up with where you're at. I should be with you in John 14. There, there we go. (laughs) John 14, verse 15. Now I'm where you are at. This looks like it. All right. If you love me, this looks better. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth in you and shall be in you. Incredible. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray to the Father. He'll send a comforter. And we can abide forever together. Now let's look at verse 26. Same chapter, verse 26. 
But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now just to qualify here, when he says all things, he's talking specifically about the words and the things and the miracles that Christ has done. The Holy Spirit is leading us to Christ. Christ is pointing us to God. And God says, go look at my son. And I sent the Spirit. So they're all pointing one to another. So when it says call all things to remembrance, this is not, I don't have to study for that test. He'll recall all things to my remembrance. I'll just read it once and I got it. Nah, that's not what this is. That's, not, that's taking this out of context. It's not exactly what this means, okay? But all things, if you have heard it, if you've read it, and I have, I have personally experienced something similar to this when most of the time uh, this has happened to me when I'm like knocking on doors and people, they're having questions or they're getting a little bit uh, maybe disagreeable and they have different opinions. And it's like all of a sudden, it's like I just have this verse that I'm like, where would that come from? But it's not in your head if you haven't read it. It's not in your, if you haven't taken time to memorize it and think through it, it's not going to be there to recall. What he's not saying is, I'm going to just throw thoughts into your mind because that's what I want you to say. He says, no, I'll call all things to remembrance what I have already taught you, what you've listened to, what you've taken to heart, maybe it's what you've lived out. But God's just not going to call scripture to your mind that you've never read. So let's keep that within its context here. But let's continue on. Look at the next chapter, chapter 15. Let's start with verse 4. It says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine. This is Christ speaking, okay? Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. See about the abiding? It's the same word, to remain, to continue in. Verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered. And men gather them, and are cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If... Ye abide in me, if you continue to follow me, if you continue to obey, and my words abide in you, you're thinking through, you're meditating, you're spending time with scripture, you're fellowshipping with God through his word and in prayer. He says, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse eight, therein is my father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue, there it is, continue, remain, abide, continue in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. Even I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I've obeyed my father. I want you to obey me. We're one of the same. You can do this. You can abide in me. You can stay connected with me. Keep that fellowship with me. That's what John has been honing in on on 1 John. It is these truths. He is gathering this from the one he loved. And now he's sharing this to those as the last remaining apostle to share these truths, to remind them of these things. Continuing on. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then John recalls these words at the Last Supper. And then John, during the end of his life, recalls these thoughts and is encouraging other believers to continue, to remain, to abide in God's truth. It's not going to be easy. There will be those that will be liars and deniers but you can continue. Don't be one of them. Don't be one of them who leave and forsake. Continuing on, look, skip down to verses 26 and 27. But when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, 
That's capital S, Spirit of Truth. He is the truth. The Spirit of God is recalling the Word of God, which is true. He himself is truth, because he is God, which proceedeth from the Father. He shall testify of me. You see how the Holy Spirit is pointing people to Christ? Christ is saying, and I'm going to leave you a comforter. And Christ is saying, I'm just here to glorify my Father. And my Father is saying, and I've sent my Son. And look at verse 27. And ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Some of the same words that John is using. I'm reminding you these things from the beginning. These are not like new truths. These aren't new commandments. But you just need to continue to do what you know is right. Abide with me. Remain with me and remain in my truth. Stick to what you know because it is true according to his gospel and his life. Last couple in John 16. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever, I'm sorry, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and will show you of things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. Do you see how they're pointing one to another? We're supposed to let that abide in us. Turn back to 1 John as we conclude here. So we have this promise. We have this eternal life. These things that we've heard from the beginning. Now you go back to 1 John. It almost feels like you're reading the gospel of John sometimes. It's incredible. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. So there are going to be those that are out there. They're going to be trying to convince you of these truths. Lead you astray from the truth. Are you really sure? Are you positive you want to serve the Jesus? Is he really the Christ? Do you really want to waste time and money going to church? Do you really want to be so kind to others when they're being so mean to you? Do you really want to be that loving to someone else who's not loving to you? And the answer is yes, 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 and yes. He says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. There will be those, and that word behind uh, seduce is to deceive. They're trying to trick, lure you, and to deceive you. But, just like he did in verses 20 and 21, verses 27, but the anointing, which he referred to earlier in verse 20, but the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you. That same Spirit of God, it is in you. He is staying in you. And ye need not that any man teach you. Why? Because you have the Spirit of God that can teach you the Word of God. But as the same anointing teacheth you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, and even as he has taught you, ye shall abide in him. See how this is all coming together? And then he ends this thought with verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him. It's the same word, continue, remain, abide. He's pounding it in our heads. He's encouraging us. That, you know what, even though you make a mistake, and even though that wasn't the most spiritually mature idea, you need to keep doing right. Because what happens is we can make a mistake, we sin, we suffer some consequence, or we're just not living doing right like we should. But in our mind, we go, well, I've already done it. It's not going to hurt to do it again. And then we get discouraged, and then we think it's no good, and we don't want to keep doing right, because we've already been doing wrong. I've already done it this time. Why not again? And it gets easier to sin. What John is encouraging us, don't be deceived. 
Don't fall into these lies and these traps. Continue, abide, remain in the truth. You have the spirit of God. You have the words of God. We have Jesus Christ who has died for these sins. We have an advocate with the Father. He's already reminded us earlier. He says, now little children, verse 28, abide in him. That when he shall appear, we may have confidence. Not being ashamed before it is coming. You know what he's saying? Hey, live like this is the last time. Live like Christ is coming today. That's what he's saying. A habit I could fall into is like if my wife is gone, she gives you a list of things to do and you want to get things done, you try and figure out how much time is that going to take me and see if I can get it done in the last time possible. And we go through this quick clean of the house right before she gets home. Sometimes it works. But it's so much better if you just do it right away. Like she's going to, because you know what happens? It, it happens rarely, but it does happen. She comes early and you're like, ah! Kids, she's at the driveway. <laughs> we failed, okay? Our plan didn't go as according to plan. But that's not how we're supposed to live our life, little children. We're not supposed to live, ah, I've got 10 more years, 15 more years. Now, it's okay to plan for the future, but all of us only have today. Will tomorrow come? I don't know. Will we be here 10 years from now? Maybe. 50 years from now? I hope I'm not here in 50 years. We have today. Abide. Remain. Little children, continue in the sun. And look how it ends. Ye know that he is righteous. Ye know that everyone that doeth righteous is born of God. It's hard to continue to be righteous if you don't know the Son. And if you're not following him, it's harder to do with righteous. But if you are righteous and you're continuing him, he's saying, that, that takes being born of God. You need to act like the family that you're a part of. Through Christ, we are a child of God. Are we living that way? Are we loving that way? Or are we following lives? Are we choosing not to continue in the things that we know? Little children, continue in the Son. Father, I thank you for this evening and the privilege of opening up your word and looking through these verses in Second, uh, 1 John chapter 2. And I ask that you would just be with your people. Sometimes we can act like spiritual little children. Sometimes too often. There are those that are trying to seduce us and deceive us. But we have the Spirit of God within us. We have Christ who has forgiven us for your name's sake. And we can remain, we can continue, we can abide in you. And that we can be confident in your coming. Because we are doing our best to live for you. Would you help your people to understand this truth? Help us not to be discouraged. John, in these final days that he has, is trying to encourage others to keep up the good work. Keep living for God. Abide and continue in his word. And Father, would you help us all for your honor and for your glory and through Christ's name. Amen.